Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 118 of the Patriots V podcast powered by CLNS Radio. I am your host, Harris Umasina. What a show we have for you guys today. Doug Kide, Ben Valin, and Chris Trapasso come on the show, talk a little Patriots draft and deflategate all that and more on today's edition of Patriots Beat right here on CLNS Radio and CLNSRadio.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Patriots Beat. I'm your host, Harris Rubenstein. And boy, oh boy, people, here we, here we go again. Another, another deflategate conversation, another annoying, annoying news story. I can't tell you how absolutely sick of this whole thing I am. I think every football fan can kind of agree, especially Patriots fans will agree with me that like, it's just time to put it to bed. I really know. I know that Patriots fans are really getting into this whole defend the wall thing where like, they really want Brady to like appeal this suspension and not let Roger Goodell win and like, blah, blah, blah. But like, Yikes, guys, we, we, we got to get through this quick, but we'll, no, we'll get back to the Deflategate stuff in a little while. We have a crazy, crazy packed show for you guys today. Weird release on a Thursday, we know, but boy, oh boy, it is definitely deserving. Today, we're recording this on a Wednesday for uh, the Thursday tomorrow, and boy, oh boy, tomorrow is my favorite sporting event of the year. It's time for a little NFL draft talk. So we brought in Chris Trapasso from uh, from CBS Sports, and uh, he also writes for NFL.com. He's going to be giving us some good NFL draft reports for the Patriots about what they're looking for. We're also bringing in Boston Globe Patriots beat writer Ben Volin to really give us a little more perspective on uh, what he thinks the Patriots are going to do more specifically. And then also to uh, talk just about the Deflategate stuff, we have uh, Emerson alumni and uh, Nesson Patriots beat writer Doug Kide coming on the show. So Doug Kide, Ben Volin, and Chris Trapasso coming on the show. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be an absolute blast. So to really get right into it, let's really start with the Deflategate stuff. We'll get into the draft stuff uh, after we uh, bring on Doug. But you know what, guys, I, I, Patriots Nation, this is for you. It, it's, it's time to lay down our arms because we need to understand something. This is no longer this whole thing is no longer about the Patriots and deflate gate and like anything like that. It's over. That part is over. The Patriots won that part. I think they like they've pretty much con- successfully convinced the country that like the Deflategate stuff was crap. They did it. They did their job. Everyone kind of believes that they didn't really do anything in the NFL sucks. This whole court case now is all about the NFL Players Association versus Roger Goodell. This is basically Article 46 of the Collective Bargaining Agreement, which says that Roger Goodell can basically punish any player however much he wants for literally anything he wants. And that's what the court case is. Now the court, the, the, the reason that the court uh, gave the NFL the victory is because they basically said, look guys, we're sorry, but you split, you explicitly said in your CBA that he can do this. So if it says it in the fine print, we can't do anything about it. So, you know, right now the judges are two and two. We'll see if Brady reappeals and whatever the heck happens with that stuff. But just know, Patriots fans, this isn't about the New England Patriots anymore. This isn't about Tom Brady's integrity. This isn't about 
anything. If you want someone to blame for this, blame DeMar- blame D. Smith of the uh, NFL Players Association for agreeing to what has to be the worst collective bargaining agreement of the 21st century. They got absolutely annihilated. No guaranteed contracts. Like drug testing is still awful for the NFL players. The Roger Goodell has basically almighty power to do literally whatever he wants with the players, but, but it's okay. Cause now the players practice less. They, they got that. It, it, it's just ridiculous to me that like people are looking at this from such a, a weird perspective. This isn't about Tom Brady anymore. Like the NFL is pissed because they think they should be allowed to punish anyone for anything. If they see fit, that's what this whole court case is about. Like, yes, it's ridiculous that Tom Brady is caught up in all of this, but he's just the middleman. This is the Players Association versus the NFL taking it to federal court to see if if there's if the CBA will hold up in a court of law. And it did. And the NFL Players Association is absolutely screwed. They're screwed. It's over. They, they, they are completely powerless towards Roger Goodell. It's sad, but it's the truth. There's literally nothing that the Players Association can do from now on. If he wants to suspend someone because, I don't know, his shoes were the wrong color, or he wore pink outside of October, or something ridiculous, Roger Goodell can suspend him because Article 46 of the CBA says so. So, Patriots fans, if you want to be mad at someone, obviously be angry at Roger Goodell because he sucks and you just – you can't he's, – he's been awful for the NFL. And even the owners are starting to get sick of him according to some reports that we started to see. Be mad at the NFL Players Association because they were the ones that let this happen and are the ones that put Tom Brady – in this very, very unfortunate circumstance, if Article 46 didn't exist and they went to a court of law saying, hey, we think our our player was treated unfairly, then they'd be like, OK, we can do something about that because it doesn't say that the guy who hands out the punishment has almighty power. It's 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 an absolutely ridiculous punishment. I get it. The four game suspension. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that really quick is going to be a big challenge for this Patriots team. But just know it's no longer about Tom Brady. This is about the Players Association being awful in these past CBA uh, arguments. And in 2020, when that CBA comes up, we are going to see, in my opinion, one of the biggest player lockouts and strikes, whatever you want to call it, of, of in, in sports history. It's going to be awful. It's going to, I, I honestly, I really do think that we might miss a full season when this next CBA is up. There's no way they're going to come up with one in time that makes everyone happy because Goodell's going to have to give up power. The Players Association wants more. The owners just want money, but the players want more money. So it's just, it's an absolute butting of heads, and I think it's going to be a catastrophe. But either way, people, we need to prepare for a future where there is no Tom Brady for the first first four games of the NFL season. But have no fear, Patriots fans. Have no fear because we already have the Savior. We we already have him. And he's beautiful. His name is Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is, in my opinion, one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. Going into his third year, I know he hasn't played much, but every single year in the preseason, he's got, he looked very good last year, way better than he did his rookie year. Reports are that the Patriots are very happy with his progress. So here we go, you know? I think it's also kind of good to see what this team has without Tom Brady. What do you have in Jimmy Garoppolo? Maybe you can trade him. What do you have in the defense? Can they win a game for you down the line? Is the running game going to hold up? Is the offensive line any good? Are the receivers actually good, or is it just Tom Brady that's making them good? We're going to see a lot of different factors with this Patriots team if Tom Brady's actually out. And I think uh, Doug Heidel mentioned it later. Not all of it's crazy negative. I mean, it, it might actually be not a good thing. It's not. It's not a good thing, but there are positives with Tom Brady missing four games that can't be understated. But let's go through game by game and really kind of give you a prediction and what we think we're going to see. So their first game of the season, I'm really this is the, this is more of a I'm disappointed that Tom Brady can't play in this game because you want to see Tom Brady 
week one against the Arizona Cardinals. You just do. That's great television. Chandler Jones returns against the Patriots in the first game of the season. They're going in Arizona to face off against one of the best teams in the NFC. It's where they can test out where their team is. How do we, how do we match up against one of the best teams in the NFL? How does our defense match up against one of the best passing attacks we saw in the entire NFL last year? How does our offense match up against one of the best uh, secondaries uh, in the league? So, It'll be an interesting matchup, but sans Tom Brady, I think the Patriots going to have a very hard time winning this game. I mean, this game's in Arizona. They're all going to be fresh, all going to be healthy. I think Tyron Matthew will probably end up playing in that game. I mean, th- this, this is the one that I think the Patriots are going to run into the biggest amount of problems with. I think that they're unfortunately going to get their butts kicked. Jimmy Grappolo's first career NFL start comes against a Super Bowl caliber team. I mean... Like, I really do believe in Jimmy Grapple. I really do think he's going to end up being, <laughs> excuse me, I really do think he's going to end up being pretty good. But, I mean, is is he going to be able to beat the Arizona Cardinals in his first ever NFL start? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I don't think so. I, I think it's a long shot. So they started the season 0-1. Whatever. Moving on. Next game. I believe their next game is either against Miami or Buffalo. So let's, I think it's Miami. I think their second game of the year is against Miami at home. Um... This is a game I very much think that they can win. I, I, I know that the, they moved up in the draft or moved back. They move up or back? They move back? Back. They move back to 13. Yeah, the, the, the Dolphins move back to 13. They get Byron Maxwell. They get Kiko Alonso. Eh? Eh? Like, I'm not, I'm not a huge Byron Maxwell fan. When the Eagles signed him to that crazy contract, Excuse me. My first thought was why? Eh, like he was a good number two corner with the Seahawks, but like he never like destroyed any number one receivers. He never shown the ability to really lock down people that are like better than him. And he, you know, we saw that last year, Philly, he was awful last year for the Eagles. He was terrible. And now the, I guess the dolphin secretary, they, they replaced Brent Grimes. who was pretty iffy last year with Byron Maxwell, their safeties are still pretty good. Kiko Alonso, I think, will actually help them shore up that linebacking core, which is just like the thing is that like Kiko Alonso may not be good, ladies and gentlemen, but let's let's make this very clear. Almost anything is an improvement for the Dolphins wide receiver or linebacking core, excuse me, than Kiko Alonso than whatever they have before. Kiko Alonso is an instant upgrade. So I think he'll do some good things for them. But besides that, I, I just don't trust anything that this Dolphins team brings to the table. If they don't get, let's say they don't get Ezekiel Elliott in the draft. So they're, they're starting running back going into the season is like Jay Ajayi. Eh, No, Ryan Tannehill didn't have a great year last year. Their offensive line isn't great. They still don't have great outside wide receivers. Eh, Not, 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 I don't, I don't think the Dolphins have it. I, I, th- I think Jimmy Garoppolo should do just fine against that defense. Uh, I think Chris Hogan is going to be, I think Chris Hogan's going to be huge against the AFC East. I know that um, it's, it's kind of weird in baseball. They do that a lot that like certain players will be better against certain divisions. I think that Chris Hogan, they brought in to dominate the, the um, AFC East because you know, you have teams like the bills uh, and the Jets, who really like to play some kind of physical lockdown defense uh, with their corners, much more physical uh, press defense at the line. But Chris Hogan's really good at breaking that stuff. He's a great route runner. He's he's basically like Danny Amendola. Amendola, excuse me. I know people hate me when I do that, but I don't know. I, I think that they'll be fine against the Dolphins team. I think Chris Hogan's going to do a really good job in those first four games. I think he's going to have a really good repertoire with uh, da- with uh, excuse me. With uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, I think that their styles really fit well together. Garoppolo, before we keep moving on, the the kind of quarterback he is, he's he's not similar to Tom Brady in the way that like he's not the next Tom Brady, but they're they're similar in the way that they both operate offenses very similarly. They're much more about precision, short yardage gains. Um, meticulating the, the ball down the field. They're not, you know, Grapple was in a crazy deep ball thrower in college, you know, went to Eastern Illinois. What What's great about Grapple is he's got a very quick release. He's very, very good at short to intermediate routes. Five to 20 yards is right in his range. He's really good at hitting comebacks, really good at hitting outs and ends, um, po- deep posts 
and fly routes are not his strength at all. Like he has good arm strength, but the, like Tom Brady has good arm strength. We know no one has a question. It's just a matter of that deep ball accuracy. I don't think that's grapple strength, but we'll see. So they're one on one going into uh, their game against Houston. So this game against Houston is incredibly interesting. I am very high on the Houston Texans this year. Um, I know that when they had Kubiak, uh, Kubiak, I said the same exact thing. You know, when they had Matt Schaub, Andre Johnson, Arian Foster, like they had the same concept and I was just as high on them back then than I am now. But I think the difference with this team is that all of it's fresh. You know, I think that a lot of those guys start to kind of rot on that team a little bit. I mean, you know, Andre Johnson just wasn't that good the later years of his career. Matt Schaub just, I mean, the guy started throwing so many pick sixes, and it was just really bad for the organization. But now, now this team is fresh. They're one of the best defenses in the AFC. Their offensive line has always been pretty good. I think they'll shore it up a little bit more in the draft. (coughs) Excuse me. I think that... You know, I'm a big DeAndre Hopkins is absolutely spectacular. What a player he has become. He is so, so good. The guy can catch anything. So you have DeAndre Hopkins. So no more Arian Foster. The Arian Foster uh, era is over in Houston. So now they replace Arian Foster with Lamar Miller, who's basically just. The, he was, he's been the most underused running back in the NFL for going on four years now. I mean, the, the Dolphins just did not use him. Well, I remember the Dolph, these Dolphins stats was so funny. When they gave Lamar Miller more than 20 touches a game, they were like 8-1 and one or some crazy stat. And when they did it, they were like 2-16 like, like and 16 or something crazy. Like, it was clear that when they used him, he was sick. And when they didn't, they were awful. So now he goes to a team that we have to remember. The Houston Texans are a run-first football team. Bill O'Brien, as as despite of a passer as he is and, you know, quarterbacks, coach, whatever, they're still a rough, tough-nosed football team. They still run the ball a lot. That's why Aaron Foster kept getting so hurt. He just, his body couldn't keep up with how much they wanted to use him. But now they have Lamar Miller, guy still incredibly fresh, has a fresh body, not many injuries in his NFL career. I think he's going to walk into Houston, absolutely take over. And then the big story this offseason was Brock Osweiler, four years, $74 million uh, to be their starting quarterback. And I might be a in the minority here. I think I am. I'm I'm a Brock Osweiler fan. Was he worth that contract? Probably not. But we need to understand that, like, what a player is worth versus what they are or like what they're actually worth, like what their play is worth is always going to be different than what they're worth on the open market because open market prices are so much more ridiculous than what players are actually worth. So, sure, is he not worth four years, 74? No, but his quality of quarterback on the open market will constantly demand that kind of money. So it wasn't really a surprise to me when he got it. It was a surprise to me that it was Brock Osweiler who got the money, but not his style of quarterback. But anyway, I'm in the Brock Osweiler camp. I really do think that he's a good quarterback. I mean, like, yes, he had struggles and I get it. He got benched for Peyton Manning, but like there was zero chance that, that the Broncos with a healthy Peyton Manning were going into the playoffs with Brock Osweiler as quarterback. There was, if, if, if Peyton Manning was healthy, there is no chance in hell that Brock Osweiler was going to be starting a playoff game for them. There was no chance. If you thought that they were going to, you're greatly mistaken. Peyton Manning was not going to let that happen. They were paying him $20 million a year. That wasn't happening. So Brock Osweiler, the one game that really stood out to me was his game against the Patriots. And to be totally honest, like I get it. You know, Dante Hightower didn't play the second half and they had injuries on, on the defensive line and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, he picked the Patriots apart. And that was back when the Patriots were still probably the best team in the AFC up to that point. They only lost one game. I think they just lost... Maybe two. I know they, I think it was the week after the Eagles game or something like that. But they were still one of the premier teams in the NFL. And I know they struggle in Denver, but Brock Osweiler, let's be totally honest with ourselves, Patriots fans. He picked us to pieces. It was ridiculous. I mean, I, one of the things that stuck out to my mind was imagine what his stats would have been if Demarius Thomas didn't drop nine balls. They, they would have been incredible. He would have thrown for like over 400 yards. He probably had one, would have had another touchdown. Like, Brock Osweiler destroyed—he single-handedly beat the Patriots at home. He killed them. C.J. Anderson had a great game because they couldn't stop Brock Osweiler. So, 
I know it's a one game sample size and that's really bad in the NFL, but I, I see a lot of talent in Brock Osweiler. I think he throws the ball hard. I think he throws the ball well. I think that he's going to, ma- I think he matches up so well with DeAndre Hopkins and the kind of quarterback he needs to succeed. I, I'm a big believer in Houston, but I really don't think that Houston's going to walk in to New England, even with no Tom Brady with, with in their third game of the year with their new offense and beat the Patriots. I really don't see it happening. It's going to be a low scoring game. It'll be like 13 to 10 or 16 to 10, but I still think the Patriots will pull that one out. Um, the other game, the fourth game against Buffalo at home, this is the one that I, I, I think is the hardest to predict because you never really know what you're going to get with the Buffalo bills. Cause you could get the early season Buffalo bills last year that are going to be a really hard team to play against. They have a super dynamic offense with a lot of speed, with a lot of power, LaShawn McCoy, Tyrod Taylor, Sammy Watkins, just a lot of different pieces and a lot of stuff you have to cover. But at the same time, it's the bills and you never really know what you're going to get against the bills. Every single game for them against the Patriots is usually their Super Bowl, especially when you have Rex Ryan as the head coach. So I think, you know, I think this game is totally up in the air. If the if the Bills get off to a hot start and they roll into New England three and zero or two and one, that could be a really challenging game for the Patriots to to go up against. Now, this isn't to say that the Bills are going to win the division. That's completely crazy. The Patriots are going to win the division this year. The Jets don't have a quarterback. The Dolphins just aren't good enough, even even with Mario Williams, which I'll do a little rant about him since we're on the Bills now. I don't think the Bills are good enough either to win the division, but the Bills lose Mario Williams, who already, like, my, my favorite thing about Mario Williams is that the Dolphins seem to think it was a good idea to give a player who, in Buffalo, didn't care at all. Like you could clearly tell he gave no effort because he was paying so much money. All of his teammates hated him. So they seem to think that giving Mario Williams a two year contract to go play for a lot of money. That is to go play football in Miami is going to make him want to try harder. Like that, that doesn't add up to me at all. I, I, I question his his uh, effort level completely this season. But, no, I think that they could pull out the game against the Bills. It just really depends what kind of Bills team rolls into New England that week. But, you know, I, I'll, be, I'll be a little pessimistic here. I think that this Patriots team, those four games, will go 2-2. Two and two, But, you know, if they go 2-2, two and two, there's no question with Tom Brady that he comes in. They can go 10-2 and two down the stretch. End up 12-4, second seed in the AFC. Just as usual, guys, this this four game suspension, I know it's big from a pride standpoint, but from an actual football standpoint, it's not it's it's not huge. But anyway, in order to let's 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 kind of finish this um, this part of the uh, podcast off with. uh, So let's bring in our good friend, Doug Kide, friend of the podcast, the Patriots beat writer for the uh, lovely four letter network here in Massachusetts, Nesson. So Doug, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? How are you guys doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, got a, got a lot to talk about. It's been a pretty crazy week for you too. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, Doug, just to get right into it, obviously, you know, the Flakegate uh, appeal decision came down this week, but um, what's, what's next for Tom Brady? What's his next steps? Uh, he kind of just has to decide what he wants to do at this point. I guess, you know, he either asked to, to have the second circuit rehear the, the appeal and the case, or they could bring this to the, to the Supreme court. But you know, from all the reports out there, it certainly sounds like he's going to try to fight this as hard as he can. And uh, I don't think you can really blame him in that regard. I think that that's probably the smart move here. Not only, you know, just, just to clear his name, but also obviously the Patriots would like to have him for those four, first four games of the 2016 season. Um, in this case, has this become more about the NFL PA versus the NFL than deflating footballs? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it has to do with both. Uh, I think that, you know, Roger Goodell and the NFL certainly never want to give up their power. And I don't, I think that's really with, with any case here. So, um, I think that, you know, when you are talking about the fight between the NFL and NFLPA, uh, I don't think that Roger Goodell would probably, probably be willing to, you know, reach some sort of settlement with Brady just because right now it really does look like the NFL has a lot of power in this. They just had, you know, the, the U.S. appeals court say that they have all of this power. So I don't think they're going to turn around and, 
you know, try to settle. And they're obviously going to keep fighting this as well because this does give them power over the NFLPA. And this does give Roger Goodell, you know, so much power to basically do whatever he wants with these disciplines in the NFL. Do you think Brady has any sort of chance of getting this, this appeal, I guess, re-appeal them? I'm not really sure the legal terms, but is there a <laughs> chance that Brady gets those four games back? Um, you know, I think there's a chance. I, I'm not a legal expert by any means, but, you know, if the Second Circuit does rehear this case or if it does go to the Supreme Court, right now, you know, what everyone is saying is that it's two judges against two judges right now because uh, there was a judge in this latest appeal who did dissent, and obviously Judge Berman did side with Brady and the NFLPA. So it's clearly not a clear-cut case. It's not a clear-cut appeal. And these four judges have had a split decision so far. So, you know, when it goes up even higher, anything could happen. And, you know, I think that obviously everyone in New England uh, is siding with Brady and certainly thinks that the NFLPA has a case. So I think that anything could really happen at this point, and it could be dragged out for another year even possibly if the Second Circuit or if the Supreme Court does hear the case. One interesting concept I heard on Twitter was that Brady could just continue to appeal this until uh, until he just retires and he won't have to serve the suspension anyway. Is that realistic or is that just a joke? Uh, I'm not sure if that's completely realistic just because, <laughs> I mean, he's signed through 2019 at this point, and at some point, uh, you know, some court will refuse to rehear the case. So, no, I don't think that that's reasonable, but I think he could at least buy himself another year if one of these courts is willing to hear the case. So on a more football side of things, obviously the guy who steps right into the orders, Jimmy Garoppolo, how do you think he's going to do in his absence if given the chance to start those four games? I think he'll do fine. I think that, you know, if it had been last year, might have been a little bit more shaky. Uh, as a rookie, it would have been, you know, a real big learning curve for him since he came from, a, from an FCS program. But he's been in the NFL for two years now. Uh, I think that he really did improve last year in the preseason and during training camp. So we'll kind of have to see if he's taken that, that one more step forward in training camp this year and during OTAs and mini camp and all of that. But I, I think he's going to be a good quarterback. And I think that, you know, there is a case to be made that if Brady does have to serve the suspension, that this isn't a totally negative thing for the Patriots because they'll get to see what they have at Jimmy Garoppolo. Other NFL teams will get to see what Jimmy Garoppolo has, and it really will raise his, his trade stock if he performs well in those four games. NFL teams like to see quarterbacks play in regular season games before they're willing to trade for them. We, we've seen that over the years with you know Matt Schaub and you know Matt Flynn getting the contracts that he has. So if Garoppolo does play well in those four, first four games, Patriots could potentially move him for you know a first or second round pick after next season, and you know that's probably a pretty big advantage for them. So one interesting thing uh, that I noticed with all this is that the first four games for the Patriots, kind of in my opinion, are probably it's probably their maybe toughest or second toughest uh, string of games. They go at Arizona. Home versus Miami, home versus Houston, then home versus Buffalo. I believe that's the order. I think you switch Miami, Buffalo. I'm not sure. But how do you think they'll do in those games? What's your prediction for their record? Uh, I'd say probably two and two if Garoppolo has to start those games because that that Cardinals game will be extremely tough. The Cardinals have a great defense there. They could be, you know, that next great NFC team uh, out in the West. But the next three games are at home, and the Patriots are so good at home that you have to think that they take at least two out of three of those. Uh, I think they'll beat the Dolphins. Texans, you never really know. They, they've been pretty good at stopping J.J. Watt. Kind of depends on how, you know, how uh, the, the quarterback situation does there. They're in Houston this year um, with Brock Osweiler. But, you know, I, I think they could take at least two of those games. The Bills could be tough, but Rex Ryan seemed to kind of mess those guys up a little bit last year. So two and two, three and one, I think that either of those are possibilities. I can't see them going one and three in those first four games, though. Wonderful stuff there, Doug. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll have you back in a minute to talk a little NFL draft. So 
Ladies and gentlemen, fans of the Patriots podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different this episode. Um, we have Doug Kide, who is coming back. He'll give us uh, one more answer what he thinks the Patriots are going to do with their two second round picks. But right now, we're going to do a little bit of a roundtable between Ben Volin and Chris Trapasso uh, to really see what they think is going to happen with the NFL draft and how the Patriots are going to play it. So I guess without further ado, we'll welcome in Ben Volin and Chris Trapasso to help us answer some of these questions but first let's go to Doug Kide so Doug what do you think the Patriots are going to do with those first two second round picks uh I actually just put up a mock draft so I'll just go off that uh my my 60th overall pick was Bronson Kalfusi the uh defensive lineman out of BYU he's a he's a five technique type of guy six foot six 285 pounds um I'm not sure if the Patriots moved to a three four but if they wanted to, he would give them some flexibility to do that. If they don't, I think he could still play three technique defensive tackle. He could play seven technique defensive end. He could rush from the interior on third down. Uh, I think that they really need some youth and some length at defensive end and defensive tackle, and he could provide that for them. And then with a 61st overall pick, I have him taking Derrick Henry. That might be, you know, a, a bit of wishful thinking that he'll be there, but there are multiple reports out there that he could fall into the bottom of the second or early third round. He's a guy who's pretty similar to LeGarrette Blunt, and they really need youth at, at running back right now, especially with that big back position where they only really have uh, Blunt, Brandon Bolden, and Tyler Gaffney. So I think a guy like Henry uh, would be very appealing for them. He's an Alabama guy, played under Nick Saban. A lot of carries under his belt, but that's probably why he would fall to the late second, early third. I think that he could be that, that big back of the future for the Patriots. Wonderful stuff there, Doug. We'll let you go now, let you uh, run free, and we'll bring in Chris Trapasso. Chris, what do you think they'll do with those second-round picks? Um, Yeah, I mean, there's probably not one player that I think would be an absolute perfect fit, but as I mentioned before, um, I think, and you can certainly disagree with me, but I think defensive tackle is probably their number one priority with Simon Beasley being gone. Um, Malcolm Brown is a really, really good player. I was, I was very high on him, but... Um, there's not a lot of um, future in the position for the Patriots that a lot of these guys are going into the last year of their contract or are older players. I think in the second round, if Vernon Butler is there, which he's uh, actually going to be in Chicago in the green room, so there's a thought that he's going to go in the first round. He's you know really versatile. I think Bill, Bill Belichick would really like that he can play nose tackle, he can two-gap, he can play all the way out wide as a five-technique kind of do the same thing. He can even um, rush upfield from the three-technique spot. I think he'd be really interesting. Andrew Billings is a guy out of Baylor, too, that he's kind of, you know, he has seen his stock kind of fluctuate over the last few months. Um, he's very young. He just turned 21. Um, he is super-duper strong. Baylor kind of used him in a weird way where they were kind of slanting on their defensive line a lot. I think He's not Vince Wilfork. I think that would be high praise for any prospect coming out. He's not as wide or as, as um, good with his hands, but he's very, very strong. Um, and he would be a player uh, in the second round that I think would really make a lot of sense um, in that he could occupy that nose tackle spot that would really eat blocks and would really let Malcolm uh, Brown just get upfield where he's really at his best. With Doug and Chris Trapasso's opinions in our back pocket around their second round picks, we now welcome in NFL writer for the Globe and Patriots beat guy, Ben Volin. Ben, your turn to put you on the spot a little bit. Who are two guys that you think the Patriots will draft with those second round picks? Uh, boy, you're really putting me on the spot here. If I could, if I could tell you who's going to be available at 60 and 61, uh, I would go to Vegas and make a lot more money than I'm right. right now. Um, I, I can tell you who I, you know, what their needs are. That much I can say. Um, that obviously, I think they need a running back. I think late second round is the perfect time. There are going to be plenty of uh, the top running backs still available. Uh, it, it's a pretty cheap contract. You're not making a significant financial investment. And you're adding good young legs with a lot of miles left on them. Uh, you know, Deion Lewis, you're not quite sure what you're going to get out of him this year coming back from an ACL. With Garrett Blunt, they did resign him. Again, I wasn't so thrilled with this play last year. Not quite sure if he's going to make the team or what his role is going to be. So I think they really need to look for the future of draft a running back. The other area I'm looking at is offensive tackle. Um, Sebastian Vollmer's in the last year of his deal. So is Marcus Cannon. 
Uh, Canada has not really worked out as, as well as planned. Um, and I think the Patriots really need to start looking at the future, find another right tackle, maybe even a left tackle. Nate Solder, you know, he, he's still playing pretty well, but you just never know what the shelf life of these guys. They could really use like a swing tackle, someone who could play tackle and guard because uh, the offensive line did kind of break down in that Denver game last year. Uh, they, they could use some help in the interior defensive line for sure. Um, they did get rid of uh, Dominique Easley, obviously, Akeem Hicks. They also lost Chandler Jones. Uh, adding pot roast uh, to the rotation will help a lot, and they still do have Malcolm Brown and, and Allen Branch. So it's not the most dire need, but they certainly could use another body uh, in the middle of the defensive line. They also lost Chris Jones. They, they waived him last week. Uh, and then quarterback. I think they're still a little thin at corner. Um, they've got Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler both entering the last year of their deals. And I don't, I don't love the depth behind them. They've got a, a bunch of uh, veteran journeymen, um, kids who were, you know, on the practice squad last year. So I think a second round cornerback, uh, or maybe a third rounder would, would certainly suit them well. So again, I hate to, uh, cop out here. I can't give you a name <laughs> at, at 60 and 61, but running back, offensive tackle, defensive tackle, and cornerback, I think are by far their biggest needs. Great stuff there, guys. But now the question I think a lot of Patriots fans really want the answer to, do either of you guys think the Patriots will make a trade back up into the first round? Ben, we'll start with you. I mean, never say never, but I'm not sure there's a ton of value in it. Uh, the Patriots can only get as high as 29 um, per deflate gate. If they trade for a second first-round pick, they'd lose whichever one is higher. So if they traded for the 17th pick, they would only get their 29th pick back. Um, so I think the, the Chandler Jones trade, getting the, the Cardinals second round pick, I think that was their way of getting around their lack of a first, of a first round pick. Instead of number 29, they now get 60 and 61, where you're not going to get, you know, maybe the same caliber of player, but it's pretty close. I mean, once you drop out of the top 15, you know, you can group these players from like 15 to 40, and, and they're all generally in the same kind of area. Um, so I think the Patriots will still find some talented kids. Uh, but I don't, I don't foresee them trading back up into the first round. Um, they do have the draft capital, 16-61. I don't think they're going to be picking both those spots. I think they're going to use that to trade up and down. They also have 91 and 95 in the third round. So they have good flexibility, and they still have four picks in the top 100, which is pretty good. Um, the one I'm looking for, uh, I don't think it's likely now with the suspension, but just you never know. Um, the Cleveland Browns do hold the 32nd pick which is actually the first pick of the second the first pick of Friday night. They don't have a quarterback. If you're the Browns, wouldn't you rather gamble on Jimmy Garoppolo than, say, Connor Cook or Paxton Lynch or some of these other quarterbacks who aren't very highly graded? Um, so I think, you know, you got to look out for possibly the Patriots trading Garoppolo, and I think that 30-second pick with Cleveland uh, could make a lot of sense. However, because of Brady's suspension, I don't know if the Patriots are going to be uh, – uh, in a mind frame to be trading Garoppolo right now. Uh, but so I, I think they will move. I just don't think it'll be back in the first round. Thanks, Ben. What about you, Chris? Do you see them doing anything different? Um, well, I mean, we've seen over the last probably decade that Bill Belichick has traded one of those late 20s or early 30s picks to get more second and third rounders. They have some extra picks in the second and third round. Um, if there was any year for them to do it, uh, you would think that it would be this year. Um, and really, I think even the most uh, passionate Patriots fan or, you know, the longest tenured Patriots beat writer, analyst would have a hard time kind of predicting what Belichick is going to do just because he's kind of all over the place in, uh, in terms of what he does on draft day. Um, but I think just my inclination is that with those two second round picks, I think he'd be much uh, better if he just stayed put and, and used those two picks on two good players because this is a draft and we've kind of heard it all for the last probably month or so at least that this is a draft that the say number 15 or number 20 player compared to the number 70 player, there's not that big of a difference. Um, and obviously the Patriots are, are not at all a rebuilding team. Um, but unless there's a, you know, really good prospect that um, would maybe fit uh, at the defensive tackle spot, at the corner spot, that is a surprising fall to the late 20s, I think you'll see Belichick either stay put or, as we've seen a lot, move back. I, I just can't envision him trading up unless there is a really, really good prospect there that kind of slides later than we think. 
one of the things I wanted to ask both of you guys is that, you know, every single year we see guys who are what I would call Patriot guys. You know, their measurables are just super what the Patriots are looking for, or you can just tell that they're big-time Patriots players. For me this year, it's Dan Vitale of Northwestern. He's like an H-back, tight end, fullback kind of guy. Fits exactly what they're looking for. So, Chris, we'll start with you this time. Is there anyone that you see is going to be able to uh, kind of fit that mold? Well, I think we have to start with any Rutgers players because as we've seen in the past, Bill Belichick really likes drafting those guys. Um, Leonte Carew, the smaller wide receiver out of Rutgers is kind of a, I mean, he could go maybe as high as the second round. I think he's more of a third or fourth round pick. He's smaller, but he's got pretty good ball skills. Um, he can make those contested catches, pretty good speed. There are some off field issues, which that could kind of deter the Patriots from picking him. Um, I think Daniel Braverman is my Patriots, you know, like this guy's going to go to the Patriots wherever they, or wherever he needs to be picked. I think the Patriots will try to get him on the roster. He is a Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman. I don't want to say clone, but he's very close to those players in terms of what he brings on the field. He's not super fast down the field, but he's incredibly quick from the slot. Very elusive. Um, He's coming from a smaller school out of the Mac, um, but his, uh, kind of claim to fame this draft season is the game that he had against Ohio State. I don't know his exact stats that game, but he was targeted a lot. Um, he was creating separation on a consistent basis, um, you know, against a team that's going to have possibly even nine or ten guys drafted, um, and a lot of them on the defensive side. So I think Daniel Braverman is my guy. Um, if the Patriots are looking to kind of upgrade that slot position, kind of seeing that Amendola is getting up there in age, Julian Edelman's getting up there in age. Um, he just screams Patriots to me, and I think he could come in right away and kind of be a, a backup slot for the Patriots. Yeah, Braverman, they had him for a visit. I think it was, was it, it was either this week or last week, right? Yeah, I'm not totally sure. I do know that there was a visit, though, and I think he would just fit into their offense yeah. perfectly and, and be that kind of safety blanket from the slot for Tom Brady. Ben, what about you? You definitely know what I'm talking about when I refer to that Patriots guy. What do you think? Is there someone that you think will kind of fit what they're looking for? That's a good one. Dan Vitale, kind of a fullback, H-back, tight end. He can line up as a receiver. He can take a handoff. Uh, That's definitely a guy. uh, He can serve as a lead blocker as well. Uh, They did bring back James Devlin, but uh, I could definitely see Vitale uh, coming to New England with like a fourth or fifth round pick. Um, uh, uh, The... um, Hold on. Uh, let me say, oh, the kid from Navy, Keenan Reynolds. I mean, obviously, anyone from Navy has got Patriots written all over him. Um, but I think it may have reached the point now where it may have been overhyped. So many people are on to the Patriots' uh, love of the Navy players, and Keenan Reynolds is actually a, a pretty legit prospect. Um, so I, I think maybe there's that makes too much sense. There's too much smoke there. And, you know, the Patriots, uh, they, when, when you zig, they like to zag. Um, and you know, the other kid I look at is Daniel Lasco, the kid from, uh, the running back from Cal just had a phenomenal, uh, combine, just an athletic freak and, and just checked off all the boxes that you want to see from a running back from the Patriots standpoint. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of, uh, interesting prospects out there. I, I don't think the Patriots look, obviously they have their eyes set on a few guys, but they don't know how the board's going to fall. They don't know what the trade market's going to look like. I think they're keeping their options open and, um, you know, they have the flexibility to go up and, and target a certain player, but, you know, also if, if it doesn't fall their way, I think they'll be happy with 60 and 61. They don't have to choose between two players. They can just grab both. So, Ben, before we let you go, we're going to keep Chris on a little bit longer to talk about more general draft stuff. But, Ben, uh, you just released your own mock draft. So are there any surprises that fans should look for before they uh, read it, or uh, what do you got that could uh, throw some people's minds around? The surprise is that uh, there are going to be a ton of trades, and they're impossible to predict. The Tennessee Titans are really sitting in the catbird seat. Uh, right now they have the 15th pick. I don't think there's any chance that they stick at 15, given all the picks that they got uh, from the L.A. Rams. Um, they're going to be moving up and targeting guys. Uh, you know, I did have uh, Ronnie Stanley, the offensive tackle from Notre Dame, going number three to uh, uh, the Chargers instead of Laramie Tunsil. Uh, I have the Jets biting on Paxton Lynch at number 19, I believe. And I've got the Broncos taking Connor Cook, uh, the Michigan State quarterback, from uh, uh, at number 31 overall. So I think the Jets 
uh, and the Broncos are ever desperate for quarterbacks, and I think they're going to maybe overdraft their guys. I like Connor Cook. I think that could be a good fit for the Broncos. Uh, they de- even if they trade for Colin Kaepernick, I think they're going to desperately need a quarterback this year. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Ben. All right, thank you very much. All right, Chris, just with you now, you know, kind of the same question I asked Ben, you know, you've been releasing mock drafts all week long just to uh, kind of keep up your NFL draft content. What are some surprises that you're predicting? Yeah, there's a few guys um, on a lot of the radio spots that I've done. Um, I actually wrote an article on this guy, too. I think Ricardo Lewis, the wide receiver out of Auburn, is one guy that I think is is. He's not getting really any publicity because Auburn, um, they run a weird kind of triple option offense, and their quarterback play was really, really bad last year in his final season. Really good athlete, 6'2", 215, uh, can certainly stretch the field. He ran under 4'5 at the combine. Um, he can make contested catches. I think he's a guy that, that probably will go in the mid or late rounds. Um, could be a really good kind of complete wide receiver, maybe not a – number one guy, but be a really good number two. Um, trying to think of any other. Javon Hargrave um, out of South Carolina State, um, he's not necessarily someone that no one's talking about, but I think just because he's coming from such a small school against not the greatest competition, there's some thought that it's going to take him a while to really transition to the NFL game. But when you watch him, you know, his hips are so fluid. He gets upfield so quickly. Um and you would think that whichever team drafts him is going to let him kind of excel in that role and say, we're not going to have you eat double teams, two gap. We're going to let you get up the field. He's got fantastic quickness um, off the ball. I think arguably the best quickness off the ball out of any um, interior defensive lineman. So those two kind of pop out right away. Um, I think Joe Thune out of North Carolina State, offensive tackle, offensive guard, he would probably be the one for me um, that I think is, um, on the offensive line, that is a guy that's not getting a lot of publicity, could go in the second or third round. Um, when you watch his film, uh, he certainly is not, you know, pancake blocking everyone. Um, and I think he could certainly be an option for the Patriots that they're pretty set on the interior of their offensive line, but they could use some tackle help. Thune is just a really good athlete. Uh, he's almost in the Evan Mathis kind of um, mold and that he's not dominating guys, but he just consistently blocks everyone in front of him. Um, even if he does get beat with a counter move, with a swim move, with a spin move, um, he's really good at getting rebalanced and kind of keeping his hands locked out and extended. Um, he's a guy that we're not really hearing about at all as one of the top three or five offensive tackles who could play guard in this draft, but I think he's a really good player and really could be someone that the Patriots look at in the second or third round. So one of one of the uh, my last question before we uh, before we let you go, you know, around this time we start seeing you know draft stocks up, draft stocks down, and like someone who or a couple of players who have been like rumored to fall. I think you know Ronnie Stanley Stanley's one that's been rumored to fall. Uh, Jalen Smith, obviously with that uh, awful knee injury he uh, got in that bowl game. Is there a specific player that you think is going to drop that could fall to the Patriots for them to snatch up and get good value on? Well, I think. Um... If the Patriots are going to look at cornerback, which they could, um, Mackenzie Alexander is a guy who I think is as good of a man-to-man cover corner in this draft. Um, he's out of Clemson. He was a top recruit um, a few years ago. He's still pretty young. He allowed a super low quarterback pers- or quarterback rating last year. Um, there are a few injury issues, and apparently – and this certainly could be smoke, but there have been some reports the last week or so that he's kind of a diva. Um, there are just some personality concerns that I think some teams will be afraid of, but certainly um, getting a talented player inside the confines um, of what the Patriots do as uh, an entire organization could really be good for him. He could be there. He could be a guy that after Thursday's first round that is still sitting there in the second round when the Patriots have two picks, and I think, um, you know, they have Logan Ryan, they have Malcolm Butler, um, but beyond that, I, I think uh, Belichick kind of adheres to the philosophy that you can really never have too many cornerbacks, um, and I think he's a player that is certainly, to me, almost the top half of the first-round um, talent, but apparently there could be some um, issues just with his overall personality and and how he is as a guy off the field. But I think 
Um, there's no, you know, legal issues with him. I just think it's more about his personality. But he's a really, really good cornerback um, who can run with anyone. It's very, very quick feet, good ball skills. Um, so he's probably the player right now um, that could actually fall into the second round, but he's a first-round talent. Well, I, I unfortunately, I do have one more question for you. Sorry. Um, sure. The uh, the big position I think they're going to target in the draft, the Patriots, that is, they, they need a running back. I think that, you know, they bring back Blunt. He, you know, it's LeGarrette Blunt. He's 29 years old, coming off a, of a season-ending hip injury. You don't really know what you're getting at Deion Lewis with that, uh, with that torn ACL again. James White was, in my opinion, very unimpressive last season when they really needed him to step up. So what are a couple running backs you think the Patriots could target uh, with their picks this year? Sure, I think that's a good point. Um, it's a really good way to kind of map out what the Patriots have at the running back spot, and that I agree that they probably will. Whether it's I don't know how early it would be, but I I do think that they could add a running back, if not two, um, in this draft. And this draft, it's really been all about Zeke Elliott and Derrick Henry, just because of their college careers. Um, but this is a really deep running back class, I think. Um, and I think for what the Patriots want and what they apparently covet, they like, they, you know, have had Blunt as that, you know, short yardage back that's that, um, really good power back, but they've really seemed to covet those smaller, uh, shiftier scat backs who can catch balls out of the backfield. Um, obviously we saw with, with Lewis, with White. Um, I think Paul Perkins out of UCLA would be a perfect Patriots back. I think he's more talented than James White. He's a little bigger, but, and I don't want to say he has the agility of Deion Lewis, which we saw, you know, make some amazing cuts last year, but it's close. And I think he's a complete back. He can catch balls out of the backfield, really good in the screen game. He would probably be my, my number one guy um, if the Patriots are going to be trying to look for a running back in the second or third round. Um, if they want someone to kind of replace that, blunt role of, of, you know, third and short goal line back. Jordan Howard out of Indiana is more of a straight line guy. He's kind of Derrick Henry light to me that he's 6'1", 6'2", 225, 230. He's a big back, um, was very productive at Indiana, and Indiana did not really have much of a passing game. It was really all about Jordan Howard. Um, he's not going to bulldoze guys the same way that Henry does, but I think he can be, you know, certainly can be someone that you could get later in the draft who can fill in that LeGarrette Blunt role. So I think those two guys are two completely different backs, but I think that they would fit um, in terms of what we've seen the Patriots like at that running back spot over the last, you know, three to five years. Awesome. Great stuff, Chris. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you. See ya. Great stuff there from Chris and Ben. Thanks to both of them for coming on, giving us some great draft analysis. I know personally, I'm really looking for the Patriots to make a move on the offensive line and at running back. I really, really think that Derrick Henry is the way to go. I just think that they need that one big bruiser, that first and second down running back that they just did not have last year to start off drives. I mean, like guys, they had Steven Jackson starting in the playoffs. If Steven Jackson's your starting running back going into the playoffs, you seriously have a lot of stuff you need to fix. But unfortunately that is the end of our episode for today if you want to help support the show please give us a subscription a rating and review on itunes and stitcher today's show is presented to you by the SeatGeek ticketing app once again use the promo code celtics beat for a 20 dollar rebate off when you download the SeatGeek mobile app it's a great deal and it helps us support the show thanks to ben chris and doug for coming on this week and for harris rubenstein and the rest of us here at clns radio and clns radio.com have a great weekend